So uh, I'm going to get right to it. I have so many personal stories to tell you of some insane, crazy things happening in my personal life. It never stops, it seems like. It never stops. But with every trial and every difficult situation that I face personally, it only refines me and makes me stronger. It only makes me more resilient in my faith. And that should be the case for you. When hardship comes, we often face one of two options. Melt down and destruct, self-destruct, or rise up and become everything you're supposed to become. And sadly, too many people melt down and self-destruct, don't they? We look for the comforts and the immediate pleasures of this life and this world to bring peace to our heart. And it may bring peace to our heart, but it's only temporary. It doesn't last. And that's why, for me, I saw 85 secular rock concerts, 45 of them Grateful Dead concerts, bars, nightclubs, partying. All those things were because in the moment they were joyous and seemed to be fun. The pleasure was temporary, but in the morning when I woke up with a hungover and empty on the inside, the pleasure was gone. And so it's a cyclical, repetitive pattern. And the harder that things get in this earth, the harder that things become around us in our personal lives and in the world, it's very, very easy to become apathetic. It's easy to become angry. It's easy to become worried. It's easy to fear terror and things that are happening around us as if it's going to come upon you. And it's in that moment that you're faced with a really critical decision, okay? Not just in external circumstances, but when things are going haywire in your personal life. And they can happen even when you're on fire for the Lord. There's things happening right now that are not even hurricane-related that have happened since the hurricane, that might be the craziest thing I've ever seen in the natural. And I know you want to know it, but I do not have time to tell it because the one story will take up the whole service. I will tell it at the right time. But it's, it's, it's the most craziest thing, but yet the most beautiful thing in the natural of what God is showing me. And it ties into this message without me having to tell you that, that full story. And so... Uh, having your hearts prepared in advance for hardship, having your hearts prepared in advance for trouble and difficulties is very important. And you learn that having gone through many difficulties and trials and tribulations and hardships. Just become a Christian, make a commitment to live for Jesus and stay the course and you will face a massive amount of obstacles. Now, the good news is, is you're gonna have the joy of the Lord, you're gonna have supernatural provision, strength, the Holy Spirit, and power to experience the miraculous in the midst of it. So what I can effectively say right now is in the last year, I've, I can count 10 times that I faced the hardest obstacles of my life. Some of the craziest things ever. I mean, just absolutely knock you down, knock the breath out of you type stuff. Here's what I can tell you on the flip side. I've never, ever in a year experienced more of the Lord and his faithfulness and his kindness and a spiritual outpouring in my life as I have in this last year, ever. You see, it's just odd how that works. The harder it gets, one of two things happens. You cave and melt down or you rise up and become stronger. Now you can't do it alone. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to learn to be spiritually disciplined but what I want to instill in you this morning is hope and faith and confidence on what to do in the midst of chaos and crisis. Because chaos and crisis, sadly, are inevitable, like the loss of a loved one. I wish no one would ever die. I wish everybody would have it made, and the minute we became a Christian, everybody lived in perfect land. 
But it doesn't happen like that. And what happens is our faith gets tried and it gets tested. We, we have trials and tribulations and trouble in this world. And if you get the right perspective and handle it properly, it'll actually make you stronger. It will. You don't have to be afraid of it. I'm not expecting it. I'm not looking over my shoulder just waiting for the next bad thing to go wrong. Instead, I'm staying resilient and confident and my eyes are on him. I'm not living anxiously, always looking over my shoulder. All right? And so, I titled my message today a, a, a neat title. I thought it's titled, What Do We Do Now? Now, have, have you ever had the most crisis situation happen? You thought to myself, what am I going to do now? Whatever are we going to do now? Now, let's picture just for a brief moment, the hurricane has wiped out somebody's home, some of your trailers, some of your homes, your business wiped out. When my business was wiped out in Port A and I lost $50,000 of uninsured equipment, I could have gone, whatever am I going to do now? Or just moaned and weeped and cried and complained. But I've been through so much stuff in my life, and I know the faithfulness of the Lord that I knew immediately was just another opportunity for the Lord to show himself strong. And, in, and the process is in his time, not mine. So the full answer hasn't come, but in the process of the answer, I have a choice. I can barely hang on like Old Testament believers did because they didn't have faith in the Holy Spirit and Jesus, or I can have authority and rise up confidently, speak to that mountain, and take hold of the promise and not be passive. And if it takes a month, two months, six months, I don't know how long it takes. It doesn't even really matter. In fact, sometimes the longer it takes, the greater opportunity I have to stand the test because your faith has to be tested. It has to be. And some of your faith is being really, really tested right now. It's being really tested. And so in the midst of those things, you get to learn what it means to walk in the authority that Jesus has already given you. And some of you... You know, if you think about a group of 250 people, there's a lot of different spiritual age levels here. Some of you just gave your life to the Lord. There's some of you visiting here for the first time that have maybe never been back to, or hadn't been back to church in a long time. There are people that come in here that hadn't been to church in 30, 40 years, and we recently had a guy give his life to the Lord that had never, ever been in church. And so you have spiritual ages, meaning you're young, you're, you're a, a baby in Christ, and that's not a, a negative connotation. It just means that you have to learn and grow. You got born again, and now there's this process of maturity over the course of time. And that's why you've got to learn to be patient with yourself. Some of you want immediate answers right now, and you don't understand why you don't have it all figured out, and it's only been a year or two years, or you walked away for five or six years, and now you've come back and you think that it should be instant. And really what it is, is you receive instant blessings and promises of what God's word says, but there's a process of growing, learning, and discovering that over the course of time. We call it spiritual maturity, okay? And so with such a diverse group of spiritual age levels here, I don't want to assume that you guys know everything, all right? And so a lot of times I have to explain very simple things, and sometimes I don't have time to do that. What I always encourage you to do is write things down, Get out your phones, take notes, uh, bring a notepad, because there's going to be things that I'm going to say that I can't fully develop or you may not understand, but if you just write it down, that way you've got it to study for another time, all right? Because I bring big topics, big discussions, prophetic words for the now. Yeah. I'm not just trying to give you an ear-tingling message. Right. 
What I'm really wanting to do is challenge you to live differently, think differently, and to weave a tapestry of what God is saying and doing in this time of history, all right? So they're big stuff. And one of the big things that is happening, some of you may not be aware of this, but some of you may, and now this has been going on since Jesus ascended to heaven. But the, 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 the premise is, is that right now, people believe that Jesus is going to be coming back, of course, tonight, tomorrow, or Friday the 23rd. Okay, so I say Friday the 23rd because if anybody reads news, and let me just say this also, I do not do a lot of t- teaching and discussion about world events. You've got all the news and all you can spend, people spend so much of their time looking at news and world events. And, and like the tiniest amount of time reading their Bible. And so coming here, I really want to give you spiritual food to prepare you for those world events and other things that happen in your personal life. So I don't talk a lot about them. If, I, if we wanted to pray over terror attacks and different things, and sometimes we do, my goodness, some weeks, again, we'd have an entire prayer service at Sunday morning. But what I really want to do is teach you, instruct you, equip you so that when you walk out of here, you're stronger, more prepared than you were when you came. You're hungrier, you're thirstier, and you're more inspired when, than before you got here. Amen? And good coffee helps that. You guys know I like to have fun with the coffee thing. I mean, just something to bring a little smile. Because the word and, and to- some topics can be so intense sometimes, you know. And I know that sometimes I can come across so intense. And I'm a pretty intense guy when it comes to spiritual things. I'm fired up. And I'm fervent. And I'm passionate. And sometimes that may come across as arrogant, haughty, or cocky. But that's really not my heart. Please know that's really not who I am. But we do need leaders that are confident. We do need leaders that walk in authority and can demonstrate that authority without arrogance, don't we? Yeah. All right. So uh, <clears throat> there's a big thing. It was, it's made national headlines. It was in the national headlines yesterday that um, there are a lot of Christians that believe that September 23rd, Jesus is coming back. Okay? Now, this is like, in my lifetime, maybe the 10th time that an event has happened that somebody said, for sure, Jesus is coming back on this day, okay? And there's a lot to say on that topic. There's a lot to say on that topic, okay? And I don't have time to talk about it. There's a word, a biblical word that some of you will hear at some point. It's the word eschatology. And the word eschatology means the study of end things or end time events. And these are, these are people that spend their time and focus their attention on the book of Revelation, the return of Jesus, and end time events, and that's their sole focus. And some of that is good. Some of it is really good. And there's some of you here that that really fascinates you, and I like that. We need multiple expressions of study and understanding in the Bible, all right? You need to understand end time events to a certain degree. But when it consumes you, and when it gets your focus off what Jesus commanded us to be doing, there's a problem. The other thing, too, is there's a lot of people that are eschatologists that, that are heavy into the study of end-time events, and I'm not going to say all, but I will say most, or a lot of them, um, are not doing what Jesus told them to do right now, because that's their ministry. And so they're not preaching the gospel, leading people to the Lord, going out and doing the things that he's called them to do, et cetera, et cetera. And so... Uh, let me show you a couple things from the Word. Uh, let me just tell you, I do not believe that Jesus is coming back Friday the 23rd. 
I understand there are signs in the heavens. I'm not ignorant. I loved the eclipse. The, I thought it was so cool because there was this one statement that you, many of you saw it and, and heard it. There was this one statement where for once the world stopped, laid down their differences, and everybody turned to look to the sun. And I was like, yeah, that was so prophetic to me. And I love that. And um, so with all the things that are happening, you know, a lot of the things aren't new. Just understand that even since Jesus' time, wars, earthquakes, rumors of wars, natural disasters, destructions, they've been going on for a very, very, very long time. And since the days of Jesus' ascension, every, every generation has believed and paid attention that Jesus would come back and hoped that he would. Rightfully so. And whether he did or he didn't is not the point. Because imagine if Jesus would have said, now listen, it's going to be 2,135 days before I come back. So you're, you're, you're going to die, and you know, 40 generations after you're going to die, so don't even worry about that right now. That would be idiotic. Because there's a purpose in watching, being prepared, and expecting the return of Christ. There's a purpose in it. And I have a newsflash for you. Jesus is coming back. Okay, Jesus is coming back. Now, when, what it's going to look like, and how, all those things are mysteries. Okay? Now, the Bible does tell us how he's going to come back. Okay? When Jesus ascended, there were two angels in white robes, and they, the disciples watched him go up into the sky, and the angel said, just as you've seen him go is how he will return. Okay? And the Bible tells us that he's going to come to the Mount of Olives. He's going to return to Jerusalem. There are a lot of hidden treasures throughout the word that show, but all the world are going to see and all the world is going to know. The time and the hour, the Bible says, no one knows. No one knows, all right? And so as soon as somebody says, this is the day, I go, you don't read your Bible. <laughs> and even though they use like six or seven scriptures to back up, that's the day, all right? All right. So let me show you a couple fun things in the scriptures this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 21. So uh, just to set this up for you, the first few verses before, Jesus sitting on the mount with his disciples, and there's this talk about how beautiful and incredible the temple is and how adorned it is with all this gold and how awesome the temple is so awesome. And Jesus is like, well, you see that temple? In fact, you see the whole city? You see all those stones? All, there's going to come a time when none of them are going to stand. They're all going to be, tor be torn down. All right? And so, verse 7. So they asked him. Now, this is a repetitive pattern with the disciples, okay? The Old Testament talks about two words called that day many times. You can just do a word search on those two words that day, okay? That day always referred to the coming of the Messiah. And so the Jews were in hopeful expectation of the return of the Messiah, but they did not read Isaiah 53. In fact, Jews have been forbidden to read Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering Messiah, coming in on a white donkey, lowly, scourged, beaten, despised, rejected. Most Jews do not know that passage, just so that you know, all right? So they're expecting the return of the Messiah to establish the kingdom, and, this is, and, and to restore Israel, because there are scriptural promises, like, for example, the one that we always read in Isaiah 9 about be, Unto us a child is given. If you keep reading about Emmanuel, behold a son that we read at Christmas every year, it goes on to say, and he will rule the nations of the world from Israel. And, Israel, and there's these prophetic promises that Israel will no longer be subject 
to all the fear and the terror of the nations around them. But the day's going to come when Israel will be established and rule the nations and that the Messiah will come. And so what I believe is we are grafted into the olive tree and that we're a prophetic promise of the restoration of Israel. That's what I really believe is God is, is going to fulfill his covenant promise and we get to be a part of that. It's Abraham who was a Hebrew. So we're the seeds of Abraham through Jesus. Now I'm giving you a lot of stuff and I don't want to go so over your head. Just listen and soak it in. You'll learn over time if you stay the course, all right? And so they said, teacher, is this going to be the time? When's this going to happen? We all want to know. When's this going to happen? And, and what sign will there be when the things are about to take place? Now, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Give, what signs should we be looking for when this is going to happen? I want you to notice Jesus' very first response. Jesus' first response wasn't the sign. The first response was, take heed to yourself lest you be deceived. Now let's talk about that for a moment without going too deep into it. I love my blue letter Bible because I can learn so much about original meanings and intents and it really helps me to understand. This is a beautiful understanding of the words take heed, to see with the mind's eye. I'm just looking in the blue letter Bible right here on my iPhone, okay? It means to have the power of understanding and it means to mentally discern. So if the devil can get us mentally ill, if he can get us sick in the head, we can stop taking heed. That's why focusing on bringing healing to mental illness in the church has to be very important. I, I really like talking about that topic and helping people. And I, I, there, are, there are people struggling with mental illness here right now and that will come into this church that need real help, and they need Jesus just as much as anybody else does, okay? And I like this. It means to turn the thoughts or direct the mind to a thing. So taking heed means that I'm directing my thoughts, and I'm turning my mind to something, and I'm, I'm giving a mental assent and understanding to something. And in this case, Jesus says, don't allow yourself to be deceived. And the word deceive means, in the simplest term, to to believe a lie, but it can also mean the opposite, to not believe the truth, right? And so the enemy, the devil, who hates you, who's very real and very alive and does not want you on fire for Jesus, he does not want you on fire for Jesus, and he will launch all he has at you, but we have an offensive strategy, not a defensive strategy to tear down the gates of hell, the Bible says. You just have to learn what that means so that when the devil comes at you, you stop getting your butt kicked and you start whooping up on him and understanding he's already defeated, he's already lost. When you can let your faith stretch into the spirit world with authority, you can now change the situations and circumstances around you. Now, how long that takes, that's up to the Lord. In some cases, you gotta stand. Having done all, stand, Ephesians chapter six. And having done all means, man, I did all that I know to do, but I'm still standing. And I am not going to be moved or removed. It's been three months, six months, a year, five years. Some of you have been battling sickness for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But it doesn't mean you give up and succumb to the fact that I'm just going to have to live with this all the days of my life. And I, that's a personal testimony from a personal experience. So take heed that you don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. Now think about that for a moment. You're like, ah, I'm probably not going to get too deceived by that, you know, like anybody that's going to say, I'm Jesus. Like if I said, hey, guys, 
I just didn't want to tell you this, but really, I'm Jesus. It's just so silly, right? There's a guy in Miami that uh, has a whole full cult following of millions of followers, and he says he's Jesus, and it's just crazy that people even believe that. And so many are going to come to him, but this is the one that I really caught my attention, and the time has drawn near, meaning, uh uh-oh, now the time's drawn near. And so what can happen is, is with the eclipse, with the hurricanes, with earthquakes, with North Korea, and all things that are happening, you go, oh, man, oh, man, here we go. The time has drawn near. Now it may. I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying to you is there's something that Jesus wanted you to know in the midst of the time drawing near. And the focus wasn't to be consumed by the time is drawing near, but rather other things, which I'm going to show you here in just a moment. So he says, when they're saying the time's drawn near or I'm he, don't go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, write this down. Do not be terrified. Now, I really love what Matthew says in Matthew 24. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Same context. Luke's giving his version of Matthew 24. But he says this awesome statement. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, just meditate on that for a moment because we could have a troubled heart not just when we lose things in a hurricane. And I have authority to talk about losing things in a hurricane because I've been buried alive in a Category 5 hurricane. Not many of us have. Some of us have. But I lost everything once, and I've all, I lost my business the second time. Okay? Now, when you lose, we lost all my family heirlooms, all my, mom, my grandmother's pictures, all my great-grandmother's things from Greece that my mom loved and cherished her whole life were all destroyed in the hurricane. We cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried because everything that was valuable to her was lost. Okay? But then she found Jesus. So then that, that stuff was like, oh, well, that's no big deal now. Okay? Because this life is temporary. It's important. It's not that we don't care about it, and it's not that it doesn't hurt. But life is temporary. It really is. So Jesus wanted us to know, no matter what you're going through, don't be terrified. Terrified is a very important word because the word terrorized means to be seized and gripped with fear. And fear in this day and age is like rampant. Now, if you've lost a child, if you've lost businesses and things and stuff, or you've constantly been sick for a long time, when kids get hurt and bad things seem to be happening all around you, the enemy's plan is to get you into terror and to get you afraid constantly, which then makes you anxious, which then causes you to be, what's going to happen next? That's not faith. And that's not how we're supposed to live. Okay? And so let's keep reading. For these things, they must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So when you start seeing all these things, what he's saying to you, The end's not going to come immediately. All right? Then he said to them, nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, and and great signs in the heavens. So we start seeing eclipses, all the crazy stuff that we've been seeing. And by the way, what's happening on September 23rd happens every 12 years. There's one little other component, which very well could be a sign of the line of the tribe of Judah in the stars. And that very well may be a sign that Jesus is showing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming back that day, right? And so notice this, but before all these things, they will lay their hands 
on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. Say, okay, well, I'm not Jewish, so I don't really have to worry about being delivered up to synagogues, and I'm not breaking the law, so I don't really have to be worried about prisons. Look at this. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now, I want to know how many of you here, aside from some family coming against you and maybe some coworkers and a few friends that used to smoke doobies with and party and drink with that rejected your Christianity and wrote you off. Now, that's somewhat being persecuted, but kind of not really. I mean, that's what everybody goes through when they make the decision to give their life to Jesus, right? We have to walk away from the old and embrace the new. And it's funny, now as I become healthy and strong years later, I'm now going back to those people to witness to them because they're not going to influence me now. I'm not going to go smoke a doobie with my old friends. But in my first year of salvation, I smoked a lot of doobies as a Christian with my friends because I wasn't strong enough yet. So I had to cut those ties because they weren't really embracing and supporting and pulling me up. Instead, they were pulling me down. Understand? And so persecution and suffering is in the Bible, and we're suffering for what? His name's sake. And the real thing is, is in all honesty, yes, in China, yes, North Korea, yes, in many uh, Muslim nations, I mean, you're going to get stoned, killed in a second if you're caught with the Bible. That's real suffering and persecution for his name's sake. But what I believe is that the suffering and the persecution for his name's sake is going to refine us and really solidify what we believe and who we believe in. I believe that the hardship coming has a purpose. I believe when, you, when somebody comes against you and you overcome it for his name's sake and say, I'm not backing down. I love Jesus and I'm not turning back to the way that I used to live. What that does is it builds a testimony and it makes you stronger and it solidifies your faith. And I believe, because can you imagine that Jesus comes, let's say Jesus comes back now. And there are so many Christians that didn't deny themselves, didn't, didn't lay their lives down, never suffered, never went through a hardship at all in their life for his name. And then bam, here we go. And they're like, see, all that stuff you taught about denying yourself, laying your life down, I didn't need, really need to do that. I'm just throwing some things out for you to think about. Jesus drew a dividing line in how we're to live our lives and we're to be spiritually dialed in and attuned. And that's a process. And I believe as long as you're in that process, a genuine, authentic process, we all get to go together whenever that day is. But there are those that have no intentions of laying their lives down, but they want the reward. Everybody wants the reward and the benefit, but they don't want to pay the price. It would be great for everybody to have free health insurance and never have to pay the price. I'm just making a point. I'm not saying one way or another. Don't get offended at me, please. <laughs> Do not get offended. You know what I'm trying to say, right? How about this? It'd be great to get a paycheck and not have to work. You like that one better? All right. I'm certainly, as nice as I try to be, I will somehow make somebody mad. I just, it's inevitable. So now I want you to notice this. So the persecution and the hardship, here's your key scripture, verse 13. The actual being delivered up, suffering, persecution, taking heat, all those things, and not getting sidetracked is going to produce a testimony. So now, instead of being afraid, like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to be afraid and terrorized. Instead, I'm going to be fired up because I'm going to get to preach the gospel. I'm going to get to preach the gospel. A good example was I got sentenced to prison in 1992, or I'm sorry, 1993, for a year for drugs. 
It was on my record. It seemed that I was scarred for life. 10 years later, I go before the same Greek judge in a courtroom full of people getting sent to jail, and I tell the whole courtroom my testimony and my, how Jesus set me free, and he expunges my record. Okay? So I got to tell a testimony in what seemed like a horrible thing that could scar me for life now turned out to be an incredible testimony to work in my favor. Right? Now, how much more so when you get questioned about your faith? But here's the real question. Are you building a testimony? What is your testimony? Because if you got delivered up, you know, I don't even know what that's going to look like, and it doesn't even really matter. It's just for his name's sake, which means that at some point, someday, for being a Christian, standing your ground on biblical values and biblical truths, you're going to be the real minority and be the real outcast. And what are you going to say when you're put in the hot seat? And that's why you're going to share your testimony. It's not so much that you knew every scripture. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, look at the next verse. He's like, don't even worry about what you're going to say. In fact, settle it in your hearts that you're not going to meditate in advance on what you're going to answer. Look at the next verse. For I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom which, will, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I'd write down, he'll give me a mouth and he'll give me wisdom. So what you're going to say doesn't even matter. You know why? Because I built a testimony long before. I already know my Savior. I don't have a hope that I'm going to make it to heaven. I love Jesus and know I'm a son. And I also know that I have to endure to the end. And I also know that the devil's going to try to deceive me. And I also know that all around me is going to be all this chaos and craziness. But don't I need to take heed, set my mind on things above, not on things of this earth, and not allow my heart to fall into deception and terror and fear, right? And so the only way that Jesus can give you a mouth and wisdom to contradict and resist what everybody else is saying, the only way is when you're spirit-filled. The only way is when you have the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in your life, and you learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, and you stay the course through adversity and through hardship and through difficulty, and you build a testimony. Jesus turned my life around. When I used to be a drug addict and sleeping around and chasing this and doing that, and you fill in the blank, when you used to be angry and full of a temper and full of rage and an alcoholic, God turned your life around. He saved me, turned me around, and now I'm on fire for him, loving him and loving people the way that I'm supposed to. And yeah, it's been hard, and yes, it's been difficult, and you're gonna have adversities, and all these things, but you know what? I stayed the course and I never gave up and Jesus proved himself faithful every single time. And all along the way, I read the word and when the word gets into my eye gate, it gets written on my heart. So now I have the word in me so that when it comes time, Jesus just says, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom. Don't even, don't even premeditate in advance, right? I don't even have to think about my testimony. Give me three days and I'll tell you the thing from the beginning to the end without notes, Right? So build a testimony is the real thing I wanted to tell you this morning. And what I really want you to know is that you're building a testimony and a story through all of this. Okay? He goes on to say in verse 16, you're going to be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and even some of you are going to die. Do you know that all the disciples except for one, all the apostles except for one were martyred for their faith? Your life's not your own anyway. And so he goes on to say, look, it's going to happen. Now, here's the answer to that. Who wants their family to hate you? No one. Who wants their family to come against them for their faith and friends? No one. Here's your answer. Your answer is not being apathetic and just, well, I just know the time's going to come where you, let's say, you know, Doug's one of my very best friends. I just know 
Bible tells me you're gonna, you're gonna hate me. You're gonna deceive me at some point. And at some point, you're just gonna turn. I'm just waiting for the day. I'm, I'm never really gonna trust you because at some point, the Bible says that even you, what a horrible way to live. And yet some people live like that. Here's the better, here's the better way. Dude, you're born again, you're spirit-filled, you're fired up, you're a son, high five, let's rock this all the days of our life. Yeah, march! Notice this verse 19, by your patience, possess your souls. By your patience. Get people born again, preach the gospel, love well, love really, really well. Don't worry about looking over your shoulder. Let's get your family and your kids, your sons, your daughters, your mothers, your brothers, your friends, born again. And understand, some people will not like you for being fired up for Christian. Some people will love you when you used to be the dope-smoking, bar-hopping, beer-drinking guy. But when you're not that person anymore, then you discover who your real friends really are. Right? So patience possesses your souls. you got to be possessed. Not with the demon, but by the Holy Ghost. And the, whole, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience. So if you got a push-the-button mentality right now, you're missing it. There are drug addicts and people hurting and broken and lost and dying everywhere around us that need the gospel and need to know what I know. Do I want Jesus to come back? You bet. I can't wait. I mean, that's going to be so incredibly awesome. I'm just, like, so pumped. And I'm not going to be caught off guard because I already know that, hey, these are the signs. I know he's coming back. I know it'll be at a time that I don't exactly know. But at the midnight hour, the screech, the cry's going to come, the trumpet's going to sound. And when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to be doing backflips down the street, not hiding under a table. And I shared the story with you how right after I came to know the Lord, I was still going to reggae clubs in Miami because I played in reggae bands. And all my friends were Rastas from Jamaica. And that was all that I, that was what I knew. So I'd go hang out with them in the dance halls in Miami, and I'd be out there till, the, till you know, the middle of the night, busting a move to Shaggy and just getting it on with my Coronas. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Come on, we just talk real in church. So you're like, huh, who's Shaggy? And I'm born again, and I didn't, I'm, I'm in refinement, I'm in the club, I'm dancing, I'm sweating, it's about two o'clock in the morning, the, the bass speakers were to the ceiling that sounded so good. The dancing, everything that I loved before I knew Jesus was happening right there. I was having some Coronas and I had already given my life to Jesus and I was busting it and I was dancing it and I went into an open vision. And I suddenly in the vision saw a, the whitest piercing light come through the windows of the, from the street in through the windows of the club like you would see when the sun breaks through the clouds and you see a ray of light. And it was like the whitest, purest light, like the whole street lit up. Outside lit up, brighter than daytime. And the light was shining into the club and everybody froze and paralyzed with fear. And I heard, I heard the sound of a trumpet outside. Man, I always, every time I tell it, I just like, seriously. And the lights coming through the club and everybody was gripped in fear. And I, I was gripped in fear and I said, not now. I was like, not now, Lord. No, not now. There's a story in that. And when he comes back, what will I be found doing? And I don't have time. Next service, I'll finish the message. Read the rest. Let me give you homework. Read the rest of this chapter. Because it concludes with the whole context of the seas are going to roar and rage. Watch, prayer, 
The answers are to be in intimacy and communion. If you said, what shall I do now? I'm gonna give you the most childlike answer. You're you're never gonna guess what I'm about to say. You're never gonna guess, because I never say this. Spend time with Jesus every day, because setting your mind personally can only happen intimately. And if you do not become disciplined, I don't understand how anybody could not be worshiping the Lord right now. I don't get it. And the only times that we're not worshiping is because we've succumbed to fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, self-centeredness, and we forgot the awesomeness and the greatness of who our God is. And you know why I dance and shout? It's not because I'm the pastor. I got promoted to this position because of 20 years or however long it was of worshiping the Lord when no one was watching and being desperate in my darkest hours. And I worship the Lord because I'm desperate. Because we're ripping horrible things out of my house and you know all this crazy stuff's happening and destruction and debt and people dying in sickness and I realize who the answer is and I realize how great our God is and I realize that in the midst of all those things, I need him more than ever and so do you. Hands are up. And they're not up for show. They're not up for pretension because I don't even really care. I had to get over what you think a long time ago if I'm ever going to move forward. Who wants a pastor that's constantly in man-pleasing mode thinking, worried about if you're going to come back or not? I already know some of you may not come back. I hope you do. I hope all of you do. But people come and go. What I know is his fervency and fire must be cultivated. And I know that the, the harder things to get and darker things seem to become, the more desperate and fiery and passionate and excited I'm going to be. And what we have to do is let go of old religious paradigms and stop living under the skeptic eye of the scorpion because that scorpion in the Bible means skeptic. And Jesus said, trample on those things. Lose the skeptical eye. You want to know my, my history, my past, what we build on, stick around, meet the leaders, go on the website, learn the story, listen to my testimony. This isn't a suddenly we just showed up and we're going to be a church, just another. I'm not even worried about what other people are doing. I'm not trying to be like another church. Instead, I want a prepared people, focused in process, loving well, not getting deceived, not getting terrorized, walking in supernatural peace, and watching, taking heed, and living a life of prayer. Because when I spend time with Jesus, you know my most favorite number one thing to do in the whole wide world? It's more than kissing my kids in the morning and snuggling and cuddling and giggling, and my wife at night. I love those things. And so I love you guys. We're in this together. The father's looking for a family, and he doesn't want anybody isolated. And when you get perspective, this is like one-tenth of of the message I want to preach to you about keeping your eyes open. Yes, there will be signs, of course. Do I think the eclipse is a sign? I'm like, heck yeah, everybody was looking at the sun. I'm like, that's awesome. The Bible metaphorically uses the sun like the sun. And the Bible says even the sun will be darkened and blood and this and that. I'm like, okay. So, but, so, all right, what am I supposed to do now? Be f- freaked out, worried, terrified, afraid, stop doing what I'm doing? Should you pack your bags because it's time to leave? No, you know you can't take your bags, but that's a, just a funny thought. Like, I'm checking out, guys. You know, like, I just, the, the bumper sticker, in case of rapture, the car's yours. I'm like, the last thing anybody's going to want is your car. <laughs> 